Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Good morning. Our scripture reading for the day will be 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven, and I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities." For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. You may be seated. Would you open God's book, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to really focus on chapter 12, and you're going to need a Bible, so if you can get to where you can see one, that will make the sermon much more beneficial, because we're going to do verse to verse as we get into chapter 12. Next uh, birthday, ladies, for your husband, I want to suggest, if you want to get him a Bible book, get him a copy of Sidlow Baxter's book called Explore the Book. And what Baxter does is to take and give a, a, an in-depth introduction to every book of the Bible so that if you're studying specific verses, the first thing that you can do is go read this introduction to the whole book. And when you get a handle on the whole book, then the individual verses will make a great deal more sense. J. Sidlow Baxter, Explore the Book. When you look up 2 Corinthians... This is, this is part of the introduction that Baxter gives. It was written with a quill dipped in tears from the apostles' anguish of heart and contains more human pathos than any other of his letters. Yet there's a lovely rainbow shining through, through it all for in his dire distress and deep disappointments, he's discovering more than ever before that the Father of mercies is the God of all comfort, and that the heavenly master's strength is made perfect in his servant's weaknesses. This sermon is to do a couple of things. We're going to do an expository lesson, but one of the things is that it answers the query, the query from people who um, sometimes leave the faith. It's hard for me to imagine anything worse than somebody who is a Christian, who has tasted this heavenly gift. They understand about what it means to be a child of God and then leave it. And sometimes for some form of atheism. And if it is that, it's not so terribly uncommon for the motivation to be something along these lines. If there is a God, 
how can he allow human suffering? Even among people who serve him, how can that be that he would allow these things to happen if he is God, if he is there, if he cares, if he loves us, how can this be? This sermon will deal with that in a personal way with the Apostle Paul. Paul is dealing with, and this is the first thing we need to do is give, give a context. And frankly, most of this sermon is going to be to prepare you for the end. The end is, is the point, actually, but we've got to go a little ways before we can get to it. I think when I ask Lewis to, to read this um, chapter 12, the first six verses, that he was a little confused because, are you sure this? He wrote, he sent it back to me and said, okay, I'm going to read this. And he printed it out just to make sure I think that I, that I really wanted him to read that because it's kind of confusing. It's, it's a challenging passage. Well, let me, let me introduce it and then it's going to feel better to you. The Apostle Paul is dealing with problems in his life. And no preacher today, no preacher today needs to uh, complain about how challenging it is to do the work that, that preachers do. You don't want to do it in front of Paul anyway, because the Apostle Paul suffered grievously. How important is Paul? I mean, I so what, what do you owe to the Apostle Paul? And the answer is, oh, a tremendous amount. The launching of the New Testament church, the launching of Christianity was so connected to Paul. First, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and probably Hebrews were all written by the Apostle Paul. And what's happening in chapter 11 and 12 of Second Corinthians is that he's having to defend his apostleship. Now that seems crazy to me. Among some of the Corinthians, there's this threat because you got some of the members who are trying to depreciate the validity of Paul's being an apostle. I know that's, that's just shocking. And I, I, what comes to my mind is that, that uh, surely the miracles, I mean, the purpose of the miraculous, and we talked about this recently, the purpose of the miracles was to confirm the word that whoever was preaching it could, could perform these miracles, these supernatural miracles. Uh, acts, and the people would say, look, he must be from heaven. He can perform miracles. Paul, just tell them. Just remind them about the miracles. But Paul did that in chapter 12, verse, verse 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians. He, he said, you, you didn't become, you weren't, you weren't behind anybody in miraculous gifts. And I showed you the signs of an apostle. One of the signs of an apostle is the ability to convert, confer the miraculous gifts to somebody else. That's one of the ways that we know that we don't have miraculous gifts today because the apostles are dead. And the apostles gave, in the natural course of things, it was the apostles who would lay their hands on people and give them the miraculous deeds. Well, Paul reminded them of that. But one of our problems, and this includes me, is that maybe we put too much stock in the persuasive ability of the miraculous gifts. Because I think if I saw a man raise, raise somebody from the dead... Whatever he was saying, I would listen to him. Of course, that's what I, I think I would do. But that's not always true. And so you take people who have been drinking from the cup of Satan, persuaded by his lies. They have an agenda. They, they have an ideology. And you can't persuade them with miracles. I mean, not always. So, I mean, you have John chapter 11, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And some of those Jews who are the enemies of Jesus watched it happen. They watched the man come up out of that tomb 
They could smell the decayed flesh when it came up out of the tomb. They knew what had happened. They go back and they tell their superiors what's happened. It really happened. He really raised a man from the dead. And the reaction was that in John chapter 12, they want to kill Lazarus, make him die again. Kill him. Why? Because he's evidence. His life substantiates the the realities, and, and their ideology is different. Their agenda is different, so they want him dead. Come on now. Come on now. A miracle like that. And we could go on about that, but you get this point. So what's happening here in chapter Second Corinthians chapter 11 and 12 is that Paul is saying, I really am an apostle. And he says things like, I don't understand why you're, why you're asking me these questions. I mean, I, I, didn't, I, I didn't come to you for your money. I didn't take your money. I took money from other churches supporting my work to come and preach to you. What, what do you think is my, if I'm not an apostle, what do you think is my point? But I'll tell you something else, is that I don't, I don't come behind any of the apostles. Look at, you know me, you know what I teach, you know the power with which I teach it, you know the miraculous, I'm not behind the least of the apostles or the greatest of the apostles, I'm not behind any of them. Let's pick up a couple of verses out of chapter 12, I mean chapter 11. Drop down to 22, and by the way, He's going to argue in chapter 11 that his defense of his apostleship is hard for him to do because it's just embarrassing. It's humiliating to try to say, let me, let me tell you that I, let me tell you about me. Let me tell you about my qualities that make you know I'm an apostle. It's just embarrassing to him. And, and he wants them to know that it's not about him. He doesn't matter in his view. It's not about him. It's about that if people deny his apostleship, then they're going to deny what he's been preaching. And suddenly the, the progress of this new church, the Lord's church, is going to be stymied. Here's uh, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty two. Speaking of the other apostles and other... Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more. Labor's more abundant. And stripes above measure. And prisons more frequently. And deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I... Well, why would you do this? Why would you do this if it was all a farce? I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. And what I came to preach to you is the truth. It's truth. Apostle Paul... um, you think about Galatia, and, and they were, those Galatian brethren were listening to another gospel, which wasn't another, but they were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. You think about the Ephesians, and what happened there was with Diana and those false gods and, and this uprising against Paul because he had the audacity to say, there are no gods made with human hands. <laughs> Who would say something like that? Well, Paul would, and he said it out loud too. And then he was sick. He got sick nigh unto death, and So all of these things. All right, now that brings us to our chapter today, which is chapter 12. And it explains these words in the first six verses. And it's the context of our lesson today. It is doubtful, or doubtless, not profitable for me to boast. He's talking about himself. And so I I don't like to do this. It's not what I enjoy doing. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. All right, so he's talked about his uh, monetary thing, that he didn't take money from them. He's talked about how he's not behind the greatest of the apostles. He's the same as them. 
He talks about the suffering that he's gone through in order to be able to preach, and it's more than, I suppose, anybody else. And then he says, now I come to Revelations. All right, so this is in line for proving his apostleship. And the Revelations is big. It's, it's that God communicated directly to Paul. You've got to get that. And it's risky business. I mean, it's risky business for Paul to talk about this. And he hasn't been tooting his own horn. He hasn't been broadcasting this, as you'll see in just a second. Do you think that human beings might have a propensity to elevate such a man? I mean, you suppose that if a man really had that connection, what if a man could say, truthfully say, I went to heaven and came back, or I've been to paradise and God brought me there to just look around? I'm telling you, you you think that maybe we could make a king out of a religious leader? You think we might do a ridiculous thing like that? Maybe we'd get him a gold ring and we'd kiss it and bow down to him. Maybe we would. But not just that. You think a man who, who had that kind of connection to God, that kind, many revelations where God communicated, like to Moses, God communicated. You think a man like that could become arrogant and think of himself higher than other people? I, I'm something special. There's a risk there. Back to 12. Verse 2. I know a man in Christ, incidentally, parenthetically, he's talking about himself. He speaks in third person. I wonder if it's because some of those Corinthians writing to him say, well, you know, you maybe, maybe you look sort of like an apostle, but I know a man who has had revelations. And perhaps it's that terminology that makes Paul talk in the third person. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, out of the body, I don't know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one, I won't boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. Okay, a couple of things. One is that this is just amazing. It's been 14 years and he hasn't talked about this with them. He hasn't discussed it with him. Why not? Well, because it's dangerous. It's risky. It's risky for him to boast about this. It's risky for them to elevate him above what he should be. And so 14 years, and he hasn't talked about this. There's a difference in paradise and the third heaven. Why is it called the third heaven? The first heaven is the realm of the fowls of the air, the fowls of the heavens. So that's the air that we breathe. That's the first heaven, and you can see it above. We call that's the heaven sometimes. Scripture will. And the second heaven would be of the stars, the moon, the, the host of heaven would be the stars and etc. the host of heaven. And then the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. Now, paradise and heaven are not the same thing. When, when Mary was talking to Jesus after he ascended, to, I mean, was resurrected from the dead, and, and Mary uh, wanted to embrace him, and Jesus said, don't touch me, I haven't yet ascended to my father. Now, Jesus had come forth from the grave. He died. And where was he when he was dead? Well, he said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. But then he said to Mary, I haven't yet ascended to my father. Paradise, therefore, is not the third heaven. Paradise is not the dwelling place of God. It's a different place, a different place. I only say that to say that that Paul here went to both. He was caught up into both. And so he saw them. 
Now, number two, let's talk about the thorn. Drop down to verse seven. You've got this background. He's defending his apostleship, not just with the miraculous, but also with his sufferings and with the the logic. And he's not behind any of the apostles. And you cannot turn loose of the gospel that I'm preaching. And so you have all this background. And enter Revelations now to what's been revealed to me personally by God. And so you got all of that. But now hang hang on to this. This thing about, and so he, I actually have been to heaven. I've actually been to paradise. That proves my apostleship. I'm not saying that to boast. I'm not saying so that I could be exalted in myself or that you would think of me higher than you ought to think. And he, Paul is embarrassed about saying this. But then he, then he talks about the thorn. Now, you, you probably know something about the thorn. Paul's thorn in the flesh. But do you know that it's in the context of, of this humility, this, this, um, this hesitancy that he has to brag about all of this, especially about the visions and about the revelations and about the third heaven. He just hesitates to say anything about that. It's dangerous. And so here's the thorn. Unless I be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. For this thing, because of this thorn, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, there's some speculations about what the thorn was. So here's, here's some ideas. Some people say it was temptation to sin. Some people say it was malaria or migraine headaches or perhaps epilepsy. Perhaps the best guess is that it's chronic eye problems. In Galatians 4 and 15, he said, I know that you love me and I know that you would have plucked out your eyes, eyes to give to me if you could. Well, that would indicate that he had trouble with his eyes. And maybe that's, maybe that's it. I, I don't know. I know this, though, and this is, this is hard to think about, but the, the Greek word for thorn, uh, well, when you look up the definition, it won't give you the, the impression that the, that the thorn was necessarily like something when you grabbed a, a vine, a, a rose bush, you know, the thorns on a rose bush, and it would prick you, maybe bleed a little bit. I, you know, um, the definition would include impalement. And I, maybe, maybe you've seen drawings before of people who would be executed by being impaled. This word, thorn, is, is equally translatable by that. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I know. Look at this other translation. Next slide. Weymouth's translation. Lest I should be over-translated this way. I should be over-elated. There's been sent to me like the agony of impalement, Satan's angel dealing blow after blow. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But this is, this is the thorn in the flesh. It's interesting to me that he didn't tell us what it was. I have, a, I have a hunch that that's because he wanted us to be able to preach it here. And it could be that if we knew what Paul's thorn was that we would respond by saying, well, that's very interesting, but that's not necessarily applicable to me because I'm never going to face that. Maybe, maybe we would feel distance, but this way, all I know is that it was a thorn 
in his flesh, and it was awful. And, and so now, point number, point number next. Oh, and by the way, I, I should say this. Isn't it interesting that, that this says that, that the origination of this thorn of the flesh was Satan's messenger? So we know where it, we know where it came from. And I'm going to talk some more about that in a few minutes. It came from Satan, but it was interesting to me that the apostle Paul didn't petition Satan to release him from this. It came from Satan, but Paul didn't, you don't, you don't pray to Satan for release. I mean, when you, when you have, you have Luke chapter four and Jesus is being tempted by the devil and you see all this glory, all the world and all of its glory. That is to say that I, I own, Satan is saying, I own the hearts of these people. Hey, how would you like me to turn those hearts over to you? All you have to do is bow down and worship me. The answer is an emphatic no. We're never going to go to Satan to ask relief from our suffering. We will never do that. We're never going to do that. Apostle Paul didn't even entertain that idea. So he prays three times, and the answer was no, which is, by the way, reminiscent of our Lord just before the cross, and that's kind of interesting to think about. Here's the third point, and now we're getting down to it. So 9 and 10 speaks of the paradox. Remember, uh, kids, a paradox is a statement which on its face seems contradictory but makes perfectly good sense. And you have a number of those in Scripture, and I think all of them are fascinating. Well, you're about to get another one. This one is, is so important, and it's the answer to the question, by the way. How is it that God, being God and all-powerful and all-good and all-loving, could allow suffering? How can he allow, allow suffering, in particular, in the lives of his people? How come when I beg him for relief from what I'm enduring in life, how, how come he doesn't always answer, or he doesn't answer on my time frame? All right. Let's ask three questions. The first one is, what are these wicked weaknesses? The second is, what are their origins? Where do they come from, God or from Satan? And the third one is, what's the purpose? So that's what I want to do in the, the, the balance of this sermon. What are they? Where do they come from? And what, what's the purpose? So... If you want to know what they are, you, you go down to verse 10, and you have the list. And, and here's what you get. Reproaches. Reproaches are, maybe you've gone through some of this. Uh, it, it would be in words that would be used by unbelievers against Christians for their faith, for the way that they practice their morals, to insult you, or to maybe, maybe it would be to say, things. you can read this sometimes, and people will say that religion and Christianity is for, for people who are weak because they just need something, that it's false. There's nothing to it. It's all empty and useless, but they need to believe in something. But those people who are more sophisticated, perhaps more educated, they're, they're above all this. They just don't need it. And if they don't need it, then they don't create it. And that kind of talk really hurts. You know, that kind of talk, uh, talk that would make us out to be foolish or stupid or weak. Now, I want to impress you at this point that 
that the things that are on this list that Paul uses to say these are the weaknesses, and his thorn is one of these. His thorn, whatever it is, is in this list in verse 10. But whatever that is, it's not, it's not result of his sin. Because we, I mean, we suffer sometimes as a result of our sin, don't we? Don't we? That's not what this is. This is suffering that is, that is not about that. In fact, the response to Paul's prayer, take this away from me, God, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, and Paul, Paul, I, I, Paul, God was involved in this. Paul would, Paul would say, I, I, uh, I won't boast in this. It wasn't about his sin. It wasn't about that. And then the needs. And sometimes I've got problems. And why is it, why is it that my father has the dementia? And why is it that my, why is it that my children are having problems? And why is it, and you, why do I have financial struggles? I'm, I may lose my job and the pressure is so heavy. I may lose my job and my, my finances are in trouble and I didn't see this coming and it wasn't my fault, but now I have it. Persecutions. Persecutions are, are a level above reproaches. Persecutions are physical pain that comes as a result and we don't see much of it, but, but the first century, I mean, they, they had it for breakfast and lunch and dinner. And then distresses. Distresses. You ever have distresses? And distress would be, for example, uh, a, a suffocating loneliness. And why, why, why don't I have any friends? Why, why, can't I, why can't I find someone to marry? And why? And you think about, and you could keep the list going. And these are the, the weaknesses, and these are the descriptions that the apostle gifts to those. So what are the weaknesses? And I'm telling you that his, his thorn in the flesh falls into one of these categories. Now here's the second thing. So where does it come from? Does it come from Satan or does it come from God? And the answer is it comes, and this is not going to be easy. It comes from both. It's both. So you, so you have verse 7, and it says that this is a messenger of Satan. Now the word messenger is in the New Testament, the Greek word, 193 times. Only seven of those in the King James, only seven of those is it translated messenger. I'm telling you that most of the time it's translated angel. And I don't know why it's not that way here. But it means, it, it, I, I, but it sounds so much clearer, I think. An angel of Satan brought these things to hurt me. In Hebrews 1 and 14, you have the angels of God and their ministering spirits sent forth to minister to people who are Christians. That's a delightful thought. But you also have ministers of Satan. And what the purpose is, is to destroy us. God wants to save us. He wants to destroy us. And here are these problems that are typical of humanity. They're problems that come even to Christians in their lives. But God's part of this too. God, God didn't bring it. God permitted it. Wait, you remember Job? Job begs God for answers and God doesn't give them. Why not? What is the purpose of these sufferings? And that, all of I've said up to now, comes down to this, this point. We had a great singing in here Friday night. I loved it. I mean, it was two hours long and it just went so fast. People don't ever ask me to lead singing, but I can sign the list and I get up here. You know, I get to lead a song. I led, there is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. And I, and, and I love to think about that. You do too. I love to think about 
place of quiet rest near his heart, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before thee near to the heart of God. Let me tell you about another place. Let me tell you about another place. And this is, this is not going to be easy to hear. The place when you're most apt to see the strength of God is when you're dealing with one of these awful thorns in your life. It's very similar to the stars. Now you, 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 you go to uptown Huntsville, Alabama in the night when the, you know, and it's ablaze with light and you look up and you'll see some stars, but not a lot. It's, 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 it's diluted by all the light. As you go out to Nayati, out to Gunnersville, out to camp out there, as you look up at the, well, y'all had rain through the week. You probably, it was too cloudy maybe, but you can get up there in the dark. You find you a really dark place and, and you look up and you will, you'll start, you'll feel awe. You will feel awe for God. How, oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder see all the worlds that your hands have made. The place at which we are best able to see the strength of God is at those times, I know this is hard, it's at those times when life is the hardest. And then, and then I see him. And that was what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Sometimes God needs our weakness more than he needs our strength. Because in strength, especially if you're describing what the Apostle Paul had, was a risk of pride. And that's Satan. Satan wants us, isn't that silly? That everything we've got is because God gave it to us, but we don't always think like that, and pride fills us up because that's what Satan wants. More pride, though, the farther I get from God. It's when I've lost that that I can see the strength of God. Now back with Hold that thought. And with that in mind, let's read 9 and 10 again. And God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Perfect means complete. You see it. You can see the stars because it's so dark. You can see my strength because the thorn is so sharp. It's made perfect in weakness. Now, by the way, uh, if, if it's true that Paul's thorn of the flesh was bad eyesight, it makes me wonder if perhaps it was a lingering effect from Acts 9 when he was on the road to Damascus and the Bible says he lost his ability to see. Now when that was finished, of course, scales fell from his eyes, but could it be that there was a residual long-term effect from that? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. When he, when he prayed three times, take this away from, from me, God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect or complete in weakness. Now here, when Paul gets this, and you and I need to get it, get it. Therefore, most, great, uh, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities. 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Take a deep breath. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. It isn't that he likes to suffer. It's not that. It's the benefit of it. If you get this viewpoint, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There, there is the paradox. A paradox is a, is a statement on its face that seems contradictory, but it makes perfectly good sense. And for you and me now, now that we've walked through this, it does make sense. It makes perfectly good sense. I take pleasure in infirmities, he says, because when I am weak, then I am strong. I have a, a way to see God. I have a way to see his strength. I have, have a way to trust him when I am weak from the thorns that I don't have other times. Is it from Satan or from God? And the answer is it comes from Satan and God permits it. In his infinite wisdom, in his Father, he is our Father. And sometimes he needs our weaknesses more than he needs our strengths to help us. His objective is to save us. And there you are. The answer to the question, then, how can it be that there's a loving, all-powerful God who, who could allow his people to suffer, is answered, at least in part, it is answered by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.